Welcome to Rose Tinted, a podcast where we challenge the limits of our nostalgia by re-examining some of our favourite childhood movies. I'm Ollie Chip. And I'm Paddy HK. And today we will be discussing The Santa Claus. This might surprise you, mate, but um, I struggle most years to get into the Christmas spirit. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's out of character, really, for me. But you know what? I didn't hate this as much as I thought I would. I think that's as ringing an endorsement this movie could hope for from you, sir. Um, <laughs> would you say it succeeded in getting you into the Christmas spirit? Mm, I mean, it'd have to be this in combination with something like, you know, me putting my Christmas decorations up and my tree. Yeah. Like, it, it would be part of a an onslaught of Christmas that might be able to get me into the Christmas spirit. On its own, probably not. Okay, yeah. It has to be sort of part of that festive context, which, yeah. to be fair, is kind of valid because I think most Christmas movies couldn't really exist outside of the context of Christmas, you know? Yeah, I think they'd fall apart very, very quickly. There's one or two, you know, I think It's a Wonderful Life, although it works best at Christmas, is also an awesome movie. Die Hard. Die Hard. I could watch that literally any day of the week, any month, any season, and I would be happy. Yeah. But even so, I do think it's still enhanced by the context of Christmas. But this movie is just like straight down the line. <laughs> you have to have have fucking nog in one hand, Christmas cracker in the other to really appreciate it. And, you know, not to reveal too much behind the curtain, but obviously we're recording this a good few weeks before Christmas. Yeah, I mean, when is it okay? Because, like, I think culturally it's okay to start listening to Christmas songs from the 1st of December, right? Yeah. When's it okay to start watching Christmas movies? I think 1st of December is a good general rule. Really? Well, it's kind of like, you know, it depends. I grew up with, like, Advent was, like, a big thing in my family because you know I was raised Catholic and my mum's family takes that quite seriously they love Advent they do the whole lighting a candle every Sunday of Advent so at my mum's house like the Christmas decorations and the candles and you know the mulled wine would all emerge on the 1st of December as if by magic like you know I think that's a totally appropriate time to get into the Christmas spirit especially because there's two German Christmases there's the actual Christmas which they celebrate on Christmas Eve but there's also the feast day of Saint Nick which is on the 6th of December. Okay. Essentially, that's like a mini Christmas that happens. So for me, Christmas has always started really early on in December. So we're just in time for the for the German Christmas, right? Yeah, literally. So as of like today, date of recording is the 5th of December. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow is the feast day of St. Nicholas. And it's the kind of day where you get like mini presents like oranges and chocolates and, and, and things like that, basically. Okay. So um, yes, as you mentioned in the intro today, we are discussing the Santa Claus as a very special Christmas. Christmas episode. But before we get into that, I just want to give some background info about this podcast. 
podcast to anyone who might not have heard it before. So Ollie and I are old friends who decided to make a list of our favourite childhood movies so we could revisit them one by one to see if they still hold up to scrutiny. Some loose rules for our selection process, the movies have to bear some kind of significance to our childhood or early adolescence, and we only try to select movies that we have not watched since that time. So with that out of the way, Ollie, why don't you tell us a little bit about The Santa Claus? Okay, so it was released in 1994, which is actually a lot earlier than I thought Hmm. it was made. I thought it was sort of mid to late, well, I guess it is mid-90s, but I was thinking more like late 90s. I thought this was like 98, 99. Directed by John Pasquin, who by all accounts is a prolific TV director. Oh, yeah. Um, Not so much film. This is, I think, his most successful one. Interestingly, the director cameos in this movie as well, which I wasn't aware of before reading up on it. He's Santa number six in that police lineup. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which was actually one of my favourite parts of the movie, when the police just start going around arresting, like, more Santas, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Its budget was 22 million, Mm. which, is that good value for money? I don't know. Maybe. There's a lot of quite big Christmas tunes in it, isn't there? So maybe is that cost a bit of money. Yeah. But yeah, it grossed 190 million and it was the highest grossing film of 1994. Really? Mm. Wait, <laughs> hang on. So it was the highest grossing movie of 94 in the same year that Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump came out. This was the highest grossing movie. I mean, Pulp Fiction, I think it was a bit of a sleeper. I think over the next year or so, that's when Pulp Fiction really started to gain some traction. Mm. Uh, I don't think it was a massive hit when it was released. And I guess like Christmas movies are essentially with very limited exceptions going to be guaranteed successes, especially during this era because people want to go out, they want to go to the movies, they want to celebrate the festive season. And if you put out a Christmas movie that gains even a little bit of momentum, it's bound to be a success. Yeah, they're a license to print money, aren't they, really? Yeah. It's like uh, music artists who release Christmas songs, like you're guaranteed. And sorry, just to backtrack slightly, it's going to be very difficult for me to get into the Christmas spirit this year because I've just heard that Ed Sheeran is releasing a Christmas song. So that means now for the rest of my life, every (laughs) single year, I'm going to have to endure an Ed Sheeran song. Do you know what's even worse about that? I was in a taxi the other day and I heard them talking about it on the radio and I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's a collaboration with Elton John as well. <laughs> it is. Like, it is, yeah, and, it and is. I'm just like, I'm not a big Elton John fan, but even I was just like, come on, Elton, come on. You're, you're better than this, mate. You're better than this. <laughs> anyway, back on track. Mm. It stars Tim Allen, Eric Lloyd, Judge Reinhold, David Crumholtz. Um, obviously, the biggest name in that lineup is Tim Allen mm-hmm. of Home Improvements fame. Yeah. Uh, and then the following year, voice acting Buzz Lightyear in the first Toy Story movie. That's probably, well, it's definitely his most critically acclaimed credit. I'd totally forgotten that he'd done that. For some reason, I had it in my mind that Mel Gibson did that, but you're right, it was Tim Allen, wasn't it? I think the role of Buzz Lightyear plays to his strengths because, let's be honest, he's not got the best range as an actor, has he? No, no. Doesn't come across very well at all in this film, his acting capabilities. To be fair, he is very aware of his own pitfalls with his acting. Yeah. He once told a magazine his range as an actor is strictly limited. I can only play a part if I can draw on personal experience, and that well can go dry pretty quickly. Yeah, I I was going to say, it's no wonder that his performance isn't exactly the most convincing in this movie because I'm pretty sure he's never been transformed into Santa against his will. <laughs> you never know. Um, my favourite, though, is David Crumholtz, who plays 
Bernard, the head elf. I actually yeah, think yeah. he's really good. Yeah, no, we matched completely on that. I really liked his performance. I thought it was really charming, really convincing. We'll probably yeah. talk about that a little bit later on. But yeah, he was uh, my favourite performance and probably my favourite character in the movie. Yeah, he was very good. But yeah, we'll, we'll get to that shortly. Would you like my two plot synopsi? What's the plural of synopsis? Synopsises? I like synopsi. I don't think that's correct, but I think I like synopsi. So please give me your two plot synopsi, sir. <laughs> okay. So this one uh, written sort of like back of the box. On Christmas Eve, divorced dad Scott Calvin accidentally gets Father Christmas killed. <laughs> <laughs> what a premise. What a premise. Oh, dear. Due to a contract clause, he has to assume the role of St. Nick. He is initially reluctant, but with the enthusiasm of his son Charlie and guidance of head elf Bernard, Scott finds his true calling as THE Santa Claus. Very good, very good. Neatly sums it up, I think. And then my one sentence summary. Hmm. On the run for manslaughter, a father kidnaps his own child in the throes of a physical and psychological breakdown. (laughs) Yeah, very, very true. There's definitely a very dark alternate reading of this movie if you choose to go there. Um, It definitely goes to some places. Um, Yeah, so the Santa Claus, Ollie, why did this movie make the list for you? Other than it's obviously coming up to Christmas and it's a Christmas movie. I think it was just really popular in our house like we would watch it at christmas time and actually i do remember watching it outside of christmas time Mm. which is interesting like i wouldn't go near a movie like this now unless it was like you know mid-december but yeah i used to watch this movie outside of the festive season quite a lot when i was growing up yeah i don't really know why i did Mm. that but i just got a lot of enjoyment out of it when i was a kid so i think it needs to make the list for that reason uh in terms of memory of it like reasonably good memory memory actually of this film Mm. but the the main things that stick out to me is the whole section where he is becoming father christmas so he's like gaining weight ridiculously quickly Mm. growing facial hair and his hair's going white that whole section there sticks out quite vividly in my mind it's mildly disturbing yeah i think so I think so. Do you know, the one film that I thought of when I was watching this, it's almost like a Christmas version of David Cronenberg's The Fly. <laughs> I was going to say it's very Cronenberg-esque. Yeah, it's odd because obviously in The Fly, Jeff Goldblum accidentally merges his DNA with a fly and the whole thing is he slowly and inevitably transforms into like a human version of a fly mm. and the transformation is very incremental mm. and he's just like learning these little changes about himself as the movie goes along. And when this movie hits that section I thought it was really similar because there's this sort of strange surreal quality to it and it's also got what could potentially be read as a body horror element it's all happening completely against his will and he can't stop it and there's something pretty dark about that if you ask me the most disturbing part of that change as well is where the uh, the doctor or the physician who takes his heart rate. Yeah. His heartbeat is beating to the rhythm of, like, jingle bells. Yeah, and I was kind of like, is he having, like, a stroke or something? Like, it sounded really unhealthy. Like, a really unhealthy arrhythmic heartbeat. Um, But, like... (laughs) But, like, yeah, it turns out it is jingle bells, and it's played for laughs, obviously. It's not funny. No, it is mildly unsettling. This poor man, he just has his life torn away from him, and his physical health torn away from him apparently. Um, But yeah, the reason the movie made the list for me I just remember watching it around Christmas time quite a lot and getting a decent amount of enjoyment out of it. It definitely wasn't my favourite Christmas movie or the one that I revisited the most. So I reckon I probably watched Home Alone more and I probably watched like things like The Snowman and stuff with much 
greater frequency than this. But yeah, I did watch it and I did enjoy it. In terms of what I remembered from it, I remembered very little and that's probably actually why it made the list because things like Home Alone, I've revisited over the years. Mm. Um, I've actually been debating whether or not to do that movie, but I think if I were to do a Home Alone movie, it'd probably be the second one because I've watched the first one too many times and it's basically still completely fresh in my mind. Mm. Whereas with this, I remembered so little. I just remembered the basic plot outline. I remembered that Tim Allen somehow accidentally kills Santa and then has to replace him. And I also seemed to remember that he had to permanently take Santa's place at the end. And then I wrote just a, in a, a little question before I started the movie. I was like, does he just abandon his child to become Santa? Like, I wasn't sure. But those were literally the only two things I could remember. I couldn't remember any details. I think I did remember that Santa died by falling off a roof. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that sequence quite vividly, actually, because the way he falls off the roof is like weirdly satisfying. Yeah. Like the stuntman does a good job. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think it probably stuck in our minds because what's more traumatic to a child than watching Santa fucking die? Like, you know, because he literally dies, like falls to his death. It's like such a wild way to start a Christmas movie. Um, but yeah, that, that that's more or less it for my memories of the film. How do you feel about just moving straight on to talking about the things we enjoyed about the movie? Hey, that's it. So what did you enjoy about this movie, Ollie? I'm still thinking about The Fly. I need to watch that movie again. Yeah, it's, it's fucking terrifying, dude. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking terrifying. It'll make you look at this movie differently, that's for sure. Yeah, I know, yeah. I'm going to go watch that after we finish this. Um, things I enjoyed here. I really liked the effort that the film went to to create the mise-en-scene of Santa's grotto in the North Pole. Mm, yeah. It is very sickly and very Christmassy but I quite liked the over-the-top nature of it. Like, from a kid's perspective, it's a really imaginative and accurate depiction of what his grotto might look like. The fact there is an actual North Pole is funny to me as well. This little pole comes up from the iceberg or whatever, and it's like the key code to get into the grotto, and it's a physical the North Pole, which I liked. I had that down as well as one of the things that I liked. I really liked the set design of that location and it really reminded me of charlie and the chocolate factory yeah it's very similar i mean that ties into another thing speaking of charlie and the chocolate factory i'm so fucking glad that the elves in this movie are played by children and not by people with dwarfism oh really i think that's a very smart move on the movie's behalf personally uh yeah you see i think that's where you and i might have differed you know because i actually had that down as one of the things that i might like to change in the movie or one of the things that i had on the bad stuff list because um it just caused certain jokes not to land. Yeah, I mean, there's some troubling sequences. There's, like, weirdly sexually charged sequences with, like, the secretary elf, who's, like, implied to be, like, what is it, 1,600 years old or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim Allen's character is weirdly, like, flirting with her, and it's played by, like, a nine-year-old kid. Yeah, I mean, we may as well pick up on that. I do want to keep talking about the things that we enjoyed, but since you've mentioned the elves, I do want to pick up on that. That, that stuck out to me. I don't think it's that he's flirting with her. I think he just makes, like, a throwaway comment to this elf girl who's yeah like 1200 years old or something tim allen says you look pretty good for your age and she says thanks but i'm already seeing someone in wrapping like you know as in the wrapping department yeah and it's like yeah maybe don't have a kid read that line actually yeah. because it's sort of like she infers that he's flirting with her i don't actually think that was his intention at all but it was just a little bit awkward to have <laughs> a child read that line so i think i actually differed from you in that regard i thought maybe if they 
made have been played by little people or maybe if they just use forced perspective kind of like in Lord of the Rings or a combination of the two. Or also just like why do they even have to be small? Yeah I mean they don't have to be small but then that's like traditionally what they are isn't it? <laughs> yeah but there's a lot there's a lot this movie does with tradition that is uh, questionable let's be honest. Yeah it's true. They're creepy don't get me wrong like choruses of kids in films generally are creepy yeah. but I sort of think that it ties into the child wish fulfillment type narrative quite nicely yeah absolutely and i'd say that their performances are good so like that elf that we were just discussing the one who was 1200 years old and makes him a coco i think she's called judy yeah her performance was really good i thought like to say that she's like a nine-year-old kid or something Mm. uh but yeah like i think we're on the same page in terms of the set design of the north pole is there anything else that you liked that you want to pick up on yeah i mean this ties into what we just said about the playing fast and loose with the traditions i actually quite liked some of the interesting things that they did with the mythology of father christmas Um, i mean do we have to say at this juncture that we both are in agreement that Father Christmas isn't real, just in case. Yeah, I think we can safely say that, yes. If there's any children listening, cover your ears. But yeah, he isn't real. We don't have the Christmas spirit to that extent, no. <laughs> I mean, the film does say that when you grow up, you sort of lose the Christmas spirit. It's got quite a nice message, isn't it? I can't I can't remember the quote now, but it's like, seeing isn't necessarily believing, but believing is seeing. Yeah. I quite like that sentiment, that that makes a lot of sense. I like the fact that they only exist because children believe. Hmm. It's like the implication that Bernard gives is like, if you don't want to be Father Christmas, then this whole thing will just fall apart. We require the belief of kids, so you have to do it if we want to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. Which I quite liked. But yeah, like the general mythology of Father Christmas, like squeezing down the chimney and being able to sort of... Uh, what would you what would you say that particular superpower is being able to visit every child on earth in one night basically yeah but like how would you define his ability to squeeze into chimneys well actually charlie who is scott slash santa's son has a really good line that kind of explains this and i think it can be extended to santa's ability to squeeze down chimneys so charlie says something along the lines of i think there's some kind of time continuum that activates when santa's in his sleigh (laughs) you know this line being delivered by by an eight-year-old child. And I think it's a similar thing. Like, I think it's implied that Santa can sort of bend the space-time continuum. <laughs> and so he can sort of, like, play with form and space and stuff like that. And turn a radiator into an, a, a working fireplace temporarily. Yeah, I liked that as well. I liked the way they played with that mythology. I liked how his Santa sack turns into, like, a balloon that yeah. floats him up into the sky and then drops him down the chimney. And it's also... Bottomless. Yeah, it's bottomless. It's like a TARDIS, isn't it? Yeah. So it's only got the amount of presence in it required for the next child on his list regardless of size of the present so he pulls out is it like a kayak or something he pulls out of the sack yeah which is no more than like you know a couple of feet wide but he pulls out this entire kayak from it Mm. i just liked all of those little nuances to the mythology it sort of does quite a good job of papering over the cracks of logic yeah it's a good way to explain to a child how it all works you know absolutely and i actually again going back to charlie the son he just has a bunch of great lines throughout the movie but a lot of them are concerning that logic because one narrative thread is that charlie's stepdad neil i think he's called and his mum they're both really worried about him because his like belief in christmas and his passion about christmas is like persisting all year round because obviously he knows his dad is the new father christmas so it's become a bit of an obsession for him and so 
his stepdad's like a psychiatrist mm -hmm. and he's really worried about the extent of what he sees as his delusion, right? And so there's a couple of scenes where he's talking to Charlie and he's like, but it's impossible, Charlie. How can he visit every child in the world? And then he's got that line about the time continuum and Santa's sleigh. But he also says something else, which was just a throwaway line, but I really liked it. He just says, and also not to mention, not every kid on planet Earth celebrates Christmas. Yeah. So he, he only needs to go and visit the people who celebrate Christmas, like, you know? Yeah. And that was just really cool. I thought that was like a nice expository tactic in a way, you know? It didn't feel cheap or lazy. You can imagine a kid watching this movie in 1994. Well, just watching this movie at any point, really. But you can imagine a child watching it and then going to school and a kid's like, oh yeah, Father Christmas isn't even real. And then they use some of the evidence from this film yeah. to defend the existence of Father Christmas. Yeah. And I just think that was quite endearing. Yeah. They were using their imagination to kind of get around these problems. They didn't let you just take it for granted that he can just do these things. And I think a part of that is because what's being positioned in the movie very actively against each other is like adult cynicism and childhood imagination yeah. and wonder. They're being very deliberately positioned against each other. So the movie had to come up with a way of countering that adult cynicism in very literal terms. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think that ties into the general sentimentality of the movie, which for me was right on the cusp of being too sugary. Yeah. Like, it just about gets away with its sentimentality without it becoming too sickly sweet. Yeah. And I think that's a very difficult balancing act considering the premise of the film. Yeah, I agree. It didn't get overly sentimental. And I liked the ending. It gets towards the final act. And Charlie's like, I really want to go with you, Dad. I really want to go with you while you're being Santa. And he's like, no, I need to go and do this by myself. I'll be around the rest of the year, but this is something that I just have to do. And Christmas is about family and we're all a big family. Me, your mum, Neil, you, we're all a family. And I quite liked that. It was a, it was an interesting way of approaching that family structure because mm. Neil and Scott slash Santa, they're at odds with each other throughout the movie. But by the end, when he's like fully embodying this Santa role, he's including him as part of his family because he's an important person to his son. Therefore, he's an important person to him. Yeah. I just really liked that. And you're right. They did it in a way that wasn't overly sentimental. It was just sweet enough, as you say. Yeah. And it's necessarily sweet, isn't it? Because it is a Christmas movie. Like it needs to be sentimental and a little bit sappy, but it's not it's not off putting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, did you have anything else on your list? Yeah, I've got a few things. I kind of wanted to just pick up on the fact that we mentioned Bernard. I'm just going to touch on him really quickly. So Bernard is like the head elf who's sort of the middle manager, essentially, yeah. of the North Pole. And I just thought his performance was so great because there's just a couple of lines that he has that ride that line between him being like some kind of middle manager and some kind of like junior mafia enforcer. <laughs> like, because he's like, at one point when you know scott's being really reluctant to be santa and you know bernard's like look if you don't do this then we just cease to exist and then he just says he says something and, I, and maybe it's because i've been watching a lot of the sopranos recently but he just says this line that to me felt very like mafia enforcer he's just like you wouldn't want to be responsible for killing the spirit of Christmas now, would you? Yeah, it's got a real a real sort of uh, zest of menace behind that line. <laughs> it's like it's emo emotional blackmail, really. Yeah, it was very much like, nice sled. Would be a shame if something <laughs> were to happen to it. Like, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Finds a reindeer head in his bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I thought um, he was just a great character, great performance. And I thought when he turned up in the movie, that's when it started getting me on board. So mm. 
I do have a few more things that I enjoyed that I want to talk about, but I want to preface that by saying for the first 15 minutes of this movie, I thought I was in for a really rough ride. Yeah, I'm man. not going to lie to you. The first 15 minutes, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is going to be a rough one to mm-hmm, get through. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it's kind of like the opposite of a lot of movies we've covered already, where a lot of the time the first act is what grabs me and then the movie loses me halfway through so that's happened with a few of the ones that we've discussed but with this one it was the complete opposite and I think that's very much to the movie's credit I really didn't like the way the movie was set up which I'll go into a bit later but as soon as they go to the North Pole. The movie started winning me over to its favor. Um, So I've got a couple of things on my list. One thing that I really liked, and this was just a little theme that I picked up on going through the movie, I really liked the use of costume design to express the themes of the movie. So I don't know if you noticed this, but the adults are all dressed in blacks and browns and dull color palettes. And this really contrasts with like the reds and the greens and the bright colors that you associate with Christmas. And so all the adults are initially bereft of the Christmas spirit so when you see Tim Allen for the first time he's wearing a blazer and it's like so black it's like a funeral blazer and his wife is dressed in all browns and Neil's dressed in all browns and there's just all these dark dull colour palettes and then as he starts to embody this role of Father Christmas he starts to wear more colour and he starts to wear like red pyjamas and like red hoodies and red jackets but all the other adults are just wearing these really drab color palettes but i don't think that even that extends not only to just the costume but also the sets as well because you know tim allen's house is very modern and chic and gray and blue yeah and then you know that's contrasted with the north pole which is just like an orgy of tinsel and red and green and bright yellow lights and what have you yeah (laughs) it's almost like christmas is spreading like an infection throughout the mise-en-scene as the movie progresses like as well when he starts becoming father christmas like he's wearing all these horrible gaudy christmas jumpers isn't he yeah and seeing as you've just picked up on it there i wanted to say as well i really liked the way they handled him transforming into father christmas so i thought it was paced really well i like that he just starts off by putting on like a little bit of weight and no one really comments on it at first and then he starts growing like his hair goes gray and his hair grows white and then it turns out even if he shaves he grows a beard back like minutes later and he just becomes santa claus immediately but then it's also expressed in like slightly more subtle ways like he becomes just a little bit jollier and like (laughs) his transformation is also reflected through his diet so there's this one point in the movie where he's at like a board meeting and everyone's ordering like caesar salads without any dressing and he's just ordering like sundaes and cookies and a pint of milk his transformation is not just an external one it's like an internal one as well and he starts to become really defensive of the santa persona so (laughs) in in this meeting they're talking about like marketing this new tank which is like a toy tank that they're trying to sell and on the storyboards for the advert they're discussing it's santa in a tank and then he just immediately takes exception to this he's just like no 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 santa's gotta be jolly and why are we trying to sell people these toys anyway they break in an instant i know they're going to make us money but we need to build things that are going to nurture a child's spirit you know and things like that and i just really liked how they approached his transformation and how he kind of like he sort of resists it but because he's also becoming like infected by this jolliness he ends up just kind of accepting it and leaning into the inevitability of it 
it, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I've got just one more thing, and it's just sort of a miscellaneous list of creative choices that I quite enjoyed, sort of an extension of the set design of the North Pole and the little details about Santa's mythology. There's just a couple of other bits that I just thought I'd note down. So I really liked the James Bond-esque sequence towards the end where they're showing him his like new flame-resistant Santa suit. There's this like British elf. He's like an elf played by this kid with an English accent who is like... An elf. Elvish Q. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they've like souped up his sleigh to include a cocoa dispenser. It's like a CD player, but it's not for CDs. It's a cocoa dispenser. Yeah. And then out of the CD slot, like a cookie emerges, uh, which I really liked. And there was one shot uh, that I really enjoyed. So the cinematography in this movie, there's is nothing to write home about. It's just very basic, very functional. But there is this one interesting piece of cinematography that I actually really enjoyed, which was when Scott as Santa is arrested and he's in an interrogation room with the police. Interesting lighting, isn't there? Yeah, it's great lighting. It's sort of like film noir, chiaroscuro lighting, so like a really heavy contrast between light and dark. I'd say, you know, like 75 to 80% of the frame is black and shadow, yeah. and then there's a spotlight beam on him. A traditional like third degree scene where someone's getting interrogated or, you know, tortured or whatever. Yeah. That's a really interesting one, actually. I really like the dolly pull that they do there's a close-up isn't there of a of a christmas dinner and it's sort of panning across this lovely christmas dinner and then the camera pulls back and you see that it's actually a television advert for a christmas dinner and then it keeps pulling back and keeps pulling back and then it reveals the the christmas spread that scott is preparing and like it's the same one but it's all burnt and rubbish and like low quality like i think that was quite a nice little creative choice yeah exactly and that's and you've just hit on the term that i was looking for there there's just quite a few really nice creative choices peppered throughout the movie yeah but yeah that was just about everything that i had on my list before we move on to bad stuff though i think there is enough cgi in this movie for us to warrant heading over to the cgi corner and looking at it specifically would you agree i would indeed yes okay well let's go there then so what were your general thoughts on the <laughs> cgi in this movie uh is this the worst cgi we've seen to date i think it might be you know i'm struggling to think of any particular moments in other films that rival the terrible special effects in this one. Yeah, what was your least favourite moment? Because what we would normally do in this section for a bit of balance is to say what our favourite CGI moment was and what our least favourite CGI moment was. I'm happy with writing off the favourite CGI moment for this. Well, I'll tell you what, let's balance it out a little bit. We'll say I thought that the prosthetics in this film were really good. Mm. So, you know, when he's turning into Santa Claus, the actual makeup that they put on him is interesting. Mm. And also the, uh, the animatronic range reindeer were pretty well animated they look pretty cool I, I quite like them i thought they sucked so much no i i think they're not particularly realistic but i think the way that they're animated ties in quite nicely to the whimsy of the film as a whole yeah and i think actually the terrible cgi you sort of get away with it in a movie like this because it is so whimsical like yeah. it doesn't need to have that authenticity but oh man i don't think i can pick out a specifically bad moment of cgi because it just all was very bad yeah. It all looked very like it was stitched onto the film last minute. Yeah. It's not very well integrated. No, not at all. A lot of the CGI was manipulating the image that was already there, which is why I think it looked so shaky. Yeah. So I had down as my least favorite moment of CGI. I think every single moment of CGI in this movie is fucking appalling. Mm. 
but like my least favorite moment was definitely when the chimney spits Santa back out because obviously the way it works is that he gets squeezed so that he's thin enough to go into the chimney and then like the chimney expands as it spits him back out again and it just like kind of stretches and compresses his image or like stretches the image of the chimney to achieve that effect and it just looks so terrible. It looks like when you're manipulating a JPEG in like Microsoft Word. It's sort of like it goes all weirdly stretched and almost pixelated. Yeah. It is just shocking. But like I said, it sort of gets away with it because of what the film is and the nature of it. Yeah. You're sort of like, okay, yeah, it's very bad, but it's sort of not the point for it to look good. No, I think I agree with you. I think I agree with you. We don't need to linger on this section for too long because I think in other movies like The Mummy, for example, we've been able to have some pretty nuanced conversations about the use of CGI Mm. and how some of it holds up well, some of it doesn't hold up well. But yeah, with this, it was literally like if CGI was being used in the movie, it looked absolutely dreadful. But it was so laughably bad (laughs) that it actually maybe even enhanced my enjoyment of the movie slightly. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I mean. It sort of ties into the point of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I think we're good to go then. Shall we move on to talk about the things that we enjoyed a little bit less in the movie? Yes, please. All right, Ollie, so we've talked about the good stuff. So why don't you ruin Christmas for everyone? (laughs) Why don't you just tell me what you didn't like about the movie? Um, Let's start with Tim Allen. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely, definitely. He is not giving the performance of his career in this movie, is he? No, he's not. And that's why, like I said at the start, like his voice acting is definitely his strength. I think here there's a few moments of physical comedy that just do not land whatsoever. Mm. The thing that makes it really upsetting for me is that he's not phoning it in. Yeah. I think he's actually trying and it's just not very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly early on, like you said earlier, like the second and third act sort of capture your imagination a little bit better, which is unconventional for the movies that we've looked at so far. But I think in that first act, he's meant to be a cynical, divorced father, isn't he? Mm. And he just can't do that convincingly at all. No. I think this movie might be better if you cast someone else in that role. Yeah. Because he doesn't have the acting range to pull it off. And to be fair, you know, he's self-deprecating in that way. He understands his own limitations, but they're really crystallized, particularly in that first act. Yeah. Who would you, just out of interest, who would you cast? You've been given the task to cast someone in this role who has like an abundance of cynicism or can play a cynical character well. Who would you cast? James Gandolfini. Tony Soprano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How would you make James Gandolfini become more physically resembling Santa Claus? Because he's already halfway there, isn't he? Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, he'd get a full head of hair back, I guess. Yeah, okay. Um, no, I think I've just been watching too many Sopranos clips recently. I think I would cast Alan Rickman. Oh, I think that's a good casting choice. Yeah. I think that's a really good casting choice. I do agree, though. I think Tim Allen's delivery of every line, especially in the first half of the movie, is so lackluster. And mm-hmm. if it's meant to be a comedic performance it's very very hard to tell and he's meant to have this dry wit to him he's just not witty he's not witty no he just says all these like half-assed like semi-sarcastic retorts to people and he just doesn't come across well in fact you know who would be a good casting choice in this movie and who i think tim allen is attempting to channel but failing miserably at channeling mm-hmm. is uh, bill murray yeah 100 100 maybe they needed to give him more opportunities to be cynical like i feel 
feel that they didn't make hardly anything of his job. Yeah. They could make him like a corporate drone, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just cynically wanting to make money off the capitalist monstrosity that is Christmas. Yeah. And he's like, you know, really cynical about all of the traditions and everything and isn't interested in any of that. But they don't really make much of his cynicism. No. It's sort of like a half-assed attempt at it and it really does fall massively flat. He redeems himself reasonably well later on in the second and third act, like you said. But in the first half an hour, I was getting worried for my attention, really. Yeah, and you're right. He does become more sympathetic as he transforms into Santa. And I think the reason behind that is, and this might come across as a little bit cynical, but genuinely, I think it's just because he is covered in, like, makeup and costume and, like, prosthetics and stuff. <laughs> he can hide. He can hide behind the fat suit. <laughs> yeah, he's hidden behind a beard and everything else. And, and obviously, he becomes the visual representation of Santa, who, let's face it, is just a more sympathetic visual presence than Tim Allen is. Yeah. Like, when he's being Santa, there is a nice bit of contrast to sort of like the sadder parts of the story and the sadder parts of his situation and how he looks aesthetically. Mm. I think when you're Santa, if you're just acting in kind of a blank way, it's funnier because Santa's meant to be this like out there character. Yeah. But when he's Tim Allen, he just looks blank anyway and then he acts <laughs> blank as well. And so it's just this <laughs> void of blankness. Um, so yeah, first half of the movie, I nearly wrote this movie off entirely. And the fact that it was able to win me back is a huge credit to it. Yeah. But yeah, what else did you not like about the movie? Well, I think the baton gets passed. This is the problem. The baton of irritation is passed in the second and third acts quite firmly over to Charlie, who is his son. I just find that kid fucking annoying. Yeah, yeah. Like, unbelievably irritating. And like, there's a moment, there's like a sentimental moment where Tim Allen's character says, you know, you're the least selfish person I know. No, he's not. He's like this spoiled, entitled little shitbag. And he really <laughs> is fucking irritating. They're trying to paint him as like this angelic, little kid but he's just a bit of an asshole. Yeah I do agree he he is annoying but then again like I said earlier he does have some pretty good lines and he delivers them fairly convincingly at points like at the end where he says something to Neil who is his psychiatrist stepdad he says you're just trying to deny your inner child and I think hearing like these complex psychological takes from like a seven year old is always going to be <laughs> kind of funny but I do agree he is an annoying presence in the movie. At the same time though it's like yeah he has some good lines of dialogue but they are quite fleeting because the rest of the dialogue he has to deliver is quite incoherent and Tim Allen is guilty of it as well to be fair like some of their early interactions in the first act I couldn't really tell what they were saying because their pronunciation makes it really difficult to follow in places I thought yeah like Charlie particularly is speeding through his dialogue at a lightning pace and it's when you've got the voice in the pitch of a dog whistle it's quite difficult to pick up on exactly what they're saying yeah some of the dialogue was just not delivered effectively at all between those two characters. Some of the tertiary characters, good as gold. Like I've said before, David Crumholtz, who plays Bernard, fantastic. Um, but it's just the two leads are the worst actors of the bunch. And that's just really quite a shame. Yeah, you are absolutely right. The two lead actors almost derailed the film for me. And I think the problem <laughs> yeah. is that in the first 15 minutes of the movie, it's mainly them that you spend time with. Like it's mainly those two that you spend time with. Whereas as the movie goes on, the cast slowly starts to expand. And so they're able to play off other characters which is where I think the movie starts to shine a little bit more yeah absolutely I think as well I said before like it's on the borderline of being too sickly and it gets away with it just about but I think like for a kids movie it does lack just that little bit of adult humor something for the adults to latch on to a little bit more convincingly yeah you see it all the time
time like the films that do this the best i think are the pixar movies mm. like they manage the balance between the child demographic and the adult parents going to the cinema with the kids like they juggle those two demographics perfectly yeah there just wasn't enough in this film that satisfied me as an adult generally speaking there wasn't quite enough here for an adult to enjoy from start to finish no i agree and that actually leads quite neatly onto one of the points that i had on my list which is that there are a lot of jokes and lines that just don't land in this movie they're meant to be like comedic moments and a lot of them happen in the first 15 minutes of the movie and this is where i was just like fucking hell and one of them is when they first meet the reindeer it's just such a throwaway joke but one of the reindeer just like farts and that's the joke and it was just like oh come on like we can do better than this we can do better than just like a throwaway fart joke and you can tell that was just like literally kids like farts let's put in a fart there's no lead up there's no setup or payoff with that it's literally just a fart occurs and it happens again when tim allen's getting out of bed when he's put on a bit of weight and he's resembling santa a little bit more he just gets out of bed and farts and it's just kind of like okay yeah we get it farts are funny and farts are funny i have laughed until i've wept because of air being expelled a well-timed fart is absolute gold stunning to behold yeah yeah stunning stunning (laughs) stunning but none of these are well timed like the fart is not used as a good comedic device in that movie and i think if you're not able to make a fart funny then you know fucking hell try harder yeah exactly yeah because they are like one of life's naturally funny things yeah um so that really didn't land for me there's also just a you know obviously it was made in 1994 there's obviously going to be some stuff that didn't age well there was one joke which i sort of found funny but it was also playing off quite a lazy movie trope or cliche which made me resent it a little bit which is when scott burns the dinner they have to go to denny's and he gets led into like the deadbeat dad section of the restaurant where there's all these single dads with uh their kids who and they're all just like shrugging at each other because they just don't know how to cook basically is Mm. the implication and yet like I don't know, it was kind of funny, but then at the same time, I think the whole idea of just the deadbeat single dad who just can't cope without a wife in the kitchen is just so done to death. Yeah, it's tired. It is really tired. And also, speaking of that Denny scene, there is one throwaway joke, which is actually a joke that's achieved through editing, and it just made me cringe a little bit. It's where he goes, we should go to Denny's. It's an American institution. And then it just hard cuts to, like, the Denny's is just full of Asian tourists. Oh, that's... Okay, so that's why... Because I was watching this with my friend Adam. Yeah. And we sort of looked at each other when that came. I was like, why is the front of house like just filled with Asian businessmen? And we were trying to figure out what the joke was. And we thought that there was a joke there that they cut out, but they didn't want to reshoot that particular sequence because there were too many extras to get back in place. So they just sort of kept it in, but didn't address it. But you're saying it's because it's like an American institution, but it's funny because there aren't any Americans in there. Yeah, yeah. But we don't even know if they're not American. I mean, maybe they're not American. They're just, they could be Asian American, you know? They could be American, but basically the implication of that joke is that Denny's is an American institution. Hard cut to a bunch of Asian people sat in the diner, and it's just kind of like, "Uh uh-oh, he was wrong. Look how un-American this is. There's nothing more un-American than a room full of Asians, and it's just kind of like, (laughs) you know, it is just a bit awkward and a bit kind of fucking racist, basically. (laughs) Um, Impressive, though, to pull off a racist joke simply through editing 
editing yeah. and not yeah. through any actual dialogue. But um, yeah, that just didn't land well for me at all. I didn't think it aged particularly well. And also there's one moment where he becomes Santa Claus and he's walking down the street because he somehow developed this innate sense of who every child in the world is and whether they've been good or bad. So he's walking past these kids and he's like, Stephen, good. Terrence, bad. And then he walks past like a sexy lady who's walking past him and he's like, I, I can't remember her name, but he's like, Vanessa, very good. And then he starts like checking her out and stuff and he's just like, oh, come on, don't make Santa lecherous, please. Yeah. Like, don't make Santa into a creep. That's the last thing that I need. But generally, the whole point of what I'm trying to say is there were a lot of jokes and lines of dialogue that landed for me in the movie, but I would say there were definitely an equal number that didn't land for me. Mm. And that was sort of like a short rundown of those. Um, but yeah, if you had nothing else on your list, should we move on to talk about the changes we'd like to make to the movie? Let's do it. So, uh, Paddy, before we wrap up then, what changes would slash could you make to this movie if you were given the chance? Well, I think that there's a couple of levels that I could explore changes on this movie. I reckon if we were to keep the movie the same, like it's basically the nuts and bolts are exactly the same, the themes are the same, and the tone's the same. The one thing that I would change, and I think we touched on this earlier, is I would definitely have the elves played by adults. Whether they're portrayed by little people or through forced perspective or whatever you want to call it, I would want them to be adult characters because I just think there was a slight level of incongruity having them played by children and like I said there were some lines that really didn't land for me <laughs> and there's a reason why Bernard was the best one is because he was the oldest one and he was the one that most closely resembled an adult and I really like the idea of these elves being like cynical workers yeah you know I think if they were played by adults you could really delve into some slightly more complex themes with the elves maybe the elves could unionize or something like that I think that <laughs> would be really interesting <laughs> i'd watch that yeah absolutely uh but yeah i reckon the biggest change i would make to the movie would be to play with the central concept of man kills santa <sighs> and then becomes santa involuntarily i would just lean into making it more of a horror slash comedy movie you know in a similar vein to Shaun of the dead or the krampus which is a, a christmas movie that's also a horror movie the krampus is fucking brilliant as well yeah it's excellent i really enjoyed the krampus and so i would actually this would totally change the dna of the movie but speaking as an adult watching this movie i would prefer it if they took that central idea idea and moved it into more of a horror movie mm -hmm. and then made it more of a parallel or satire of the fly because the <laughs> idea of a man being physically transformed against his will into santa claus is a terrifying concept <laughs> and you could lean into this a little bit more maybe you know he becomes unrecognizable and is forced into a life of servitude and everyone thinks he's delusional and he loses his family and he's just trapped in this wow, never-ending cycle of having to do the same job all year round you know and there's also this interesting implication in the movie that I think could be explored a little bit more which is that the Santa that came before him was the same so the only way these Santas are released from their fealty. It's like a curse isn't it? Yeah it's a curse you could approach it as sort of like an updated version of like a Christmas Carol or something Yeah, he's a Grinch or a Scrooge sort of archetype and his punishment is to become the spirit of Christmas 
yeah, I like the idea of it being a curse. That's what <laughs> I would change mostly, is take the central concept, but make it more of a dark comedy or a horror movie, because okay. I think that would be really interesting. What about you? Um, I would recast it, first of all. Yeah. So I'd get rid of Tim Allen, and I would get rid of the child actor who plays Charlie. I think they are the worst parts of this film. I would do something similar in terms of the tone, but I would actually make more of... And it's sort of touched upon it in this film, but I really liked the idea of... Santa's organization operating simultaneously like a corporation mm. but also like a military unit. Yeah. I would make more of that. Like you said that you really liked the bit where they were designing all this new tech for Father Christmas sort of like yeah. James Bond-esque. They never use any of that equipment. It'd be really cool to make more of the daily functions of how mm. this huge logistical nightmare that is delivering presents to most of the children on the planet yeah. Uh, how that actually operates. So I would quite like to see, for example, like we've just designed this new present carpet bombing run that your sleigh can perform. <laughs> you don't need to even go down the chimney now, Father Christmas, because you can shoot presents out of this rocket launcher that we've designed for you. Make more of it in that sense. And I think there's potential for some good comedy there, you know? Yeah. So I wouldn't change too much in terms of its tone, but in terms of its premise, I'd like to see more of the way that organization runs. Yeah. And to make it more of a parallel to, yeah, like a military organization or a business, I think could be quite funny. Yeah, because they kind of set that up, don't they? They kind of set up this parallel between him working for this soulless toy company and then, you know, the North Pole's toy workshop. And they don't really explore it as much as I'd like to. So, yeah, I'm definitely on board with that change for sure. I mean, saying that, have you read the plot synopsis for the sequels to this? No, I don't think there is any force on Earth that could make me watch the sequels to this. <laughs> movie <laughs> let me read you santa claus 2 santa claus 3 is called the santa claus 3 the escape clause uh santa claus 2 is just the santa claus 2 uh scott calvin has been in the role of santa for the past eight years and his loyal elves consider him the best one ever but the world of the merry old soul turns upside down when he's dealt a double whammy of news not only is his son charlie landed on this year's naughty list but scott discovers that he must marry by christmas eve or he will stop being santa claus forever Okay, that's a weird central concept for a movie. Right? He has to find he has to find a wife, otherwise he loses his job as Father Christmas. Yeah, it kind of goes back to that whole deadbeat single dad trope, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And then the third one. I mean, this one sounds more along the lines of what I would like it to be. Yeah. Christmas cheer turns into holiday chaos when Scott Calvin invites his in-laws for a visit and must also contend with Jack Frost's scheme to take over the North Pole. <laughs> Scott, his family, and head elf Curtis must join forces to foil the nefarious plot. Wow. I like the idea of like another mythologized Christmas character like wanting to take over the North Pole organization. I quite like that idea. Dude, do you know what it totally should be? Do you know what it totally should be? Jeff Bezos attempts to buy the North Pole <laughs> and make yeah. it part of Amazon because you've yeah. got these two global delivery services that are trying to take over Christmas. One is Santa and the North Pole and one is Jeffrey motherfucking Bezos yeah. and Amazon. So that is the Santa Claus movie we sorely need. Oh, that would be so cool. Santa Claus versus Jeff Bezos. Yeah, like Father Christmas is still trying to do his job and like he has to leave the North Pole to do his job on Christmas Eve. But while that's going on, there's like literally a turf war going 
going on between militarized elves and Amazon drones and robots. Yeah. I would watch that fucking movie. Uh, yeah. Oh, and also, just going back to what we were talking about, unionized elves, and then the elves team up with the Amazon warehouse workers, convince them to unionize, yeah. and then they actually get decent working conditions and yeah, pay. There you and go. Everyone has a Merry Christmas. And there's an overarching theme of socialism that just runs throughout the whole thing. I love it. Yeah. The Santa Claus to a red Christmas. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. Anyway. So. I... Uh, okay. Oh, man. Why doesn't that film exist? <laughs> You're actually sad now. Are you yeah. sad that movie doesn't exist? Yeah. We'll have to make it. That'll yeah. be next on the agenda. Well, I could actually see it as like a Despicable Me. Yeah. Type thing. You know, I could see it as an animated children's movie for sure. Yeah. Definitely. But yeah, I think that just about does it. We've made adequate changes to this movie as well as inventing a couple of sequels. So I think it's safe to say we've gone above and beyond. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess the last thing I need to ask you, Ollie, is do you think you need rose-tinted specs to appreciate this movie or do you think it holds up to scrutiny? Oh, you know what? It's actually quite a tricky question for this one um, because although I had passable enjoyment watching this film, mm. I don't think I would want to watch it again anytime soon. Yeah. It's not that friendly towards adults. No. I would be all right sticking it on for a younger sibling or, um, you know, one of my younger cousins or something. But I think I sort of needed my own nostalgia of it to enjoy revisiting it. Yeah. So I'm going to say that you do need the glasses because mm -hmm. I think without them, yeah, I wouldn't really be interested in watching it a second time. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think this might be the first time well, firstly, I'm going to say I agree with you. I do think you need rose-tinted specs to appreciate this movie. But I think this might be the first time we've come to that conclusion when we've also kind of enjoyed the movie. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting one, like you say. I tried to look at it from the perspective of how successful is it as a Christmas movie. And I think it is pretty successful. I think it does its job well. But like you said, I think it does certainly lack something for an adult audience. And maybe the definition of a good Christmas movie is one that not only appeals to kids and adults and enhances the Christmas experience, but one that can also exist outside of that context. Yeah. So if I think of like, It's a Wonderful Life, you don't need rose-tinted specs to appreciate that movie. I watched that last year. It's great. You know, I think of Die Hard. It's still awesome. Um, with this, I, I enjoyed watching it, but I think I am going to go with a similar answer to you and say you do need rose-tinted specs to properly appreciate this movie. Yeah, because I think what we've done so far really is wearing rose-tinted specs, we've sort of made synonymous with the fact that the film is shit. Yeah. But it's not, it's more nuanced than that, I think. It's yeah. more complex than that as a question. So yeah, I think this one is the first one we've done where you do need the specs to really enjoy it, but it's okay as it is as well. You definitely need rose-tinted specs to appreciate Tim Allen as a comedian. <laughs> yeah, that's know? for fucking like, sure. That is for fucking sure. Like, because I went into this movie being like, oh yeah, Tim Allen, he's a comedic actor, isn't he? And then I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so I think that just about does it. Before we go, as always, I need to say thank you to Dilettante for letting us use their song My Dress as our theme tune. But in the meantime, I have been Paddy. And I've been Ollie. And we have been Rose Tinted. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you all next time. Bye.